What I wanted to talk about this morning was three responses to the Christmas message. Three responses to the Christmas message that we see in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. And so let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Mary had just been visited by Gabriel, and she had just heard the news and faithfully responded to the angel about the news of the uh, coming of the Lord, that she would be with child by the power of God, and she would be giving birth to the Messiah. So now starting in verse 9, it says, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped for joy, uh, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb." And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given up uh, help to Israel, His servant." in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless our time together this morning as we um, read from your word and as I teach God that you would guide uh, my words, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you this morning. And we also ask during this season, this season where we celebrate Christmas with such anticipation, Lord, that you would provide uh, divine appointments for us, Lord, to speak to people about the truth of Christmas and the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So as you can see in your handout, there's three different responses to this Christmas message that we see in our passage this morning. The first response would be this response of joyful celebration. Okay, there's, there's a joyful celebration that is an appropriate response to the Christmas message, to the coming of our Lord. This is seen really in verses 39 through 44, where Mary goes to uh, Elizabeth to the hill country in the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cries out with a loud voice, says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. So the first response to Mary's greeting is this joyful celebration first of John the Baptist leaping for joy in his mother's womb. Now, quick note on this, because being in this passage, I could not pass this up, but I think it's very important uh, that um, Elizabeth recognizes that the baby is alive and a baby in her womb. The Bible makes it clear that John is a child. He is not a potential child. He's not a potential human. He's not a potential baby. And the Bible also makes it clear in verse 43, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? The Bible makes it clear that Mary is already a mother. She's not a potential mother. Now the reason I bring this up is because um, this is often a conversation and verses that are used when speaking to people about abortion. And as I was preparing this message, you know, it, I, it wasn't necessarily a topic I was planning to, to, to speak on. But as I kept meditating and praying through these scriptures, I just could not pass up the opportunity to point out how clear this passage is about the importance of children within the womb. Here we have John the Baptist, the greatest man born of women, alive in the womb. And here we have the Savior of the world, alive in the womb. But even beyond just the abortion talk, this really gives us also an idea of the celebration of children in general. See, Christians should be celebrating children, and we should be indignant when they are slaughtered. But I think Christians have forgotten much of the joy of child-rearing because we are self-focused, and um, really a lot of times we hand that responsibility over to others. One of the reasons I think that in our world today that children can be seen as such a burden is because Satan hates them. Satan hates children. He hates the noise of laughter in church in the morning. He hates the sound of running little feet in the nursery. Because each and every time that happens, that's a reminder to him that there is another generation that God is building to storm the gates of hell. We as Christians, we need to view children as the blessing that they are. This is not a blessing that we are sovereign over. We don't get to tell God how many children we're going to have. 
We don't get to tell God when enough's enough. We don't get to scoff at the strange families who walk by with the six or seven kids. We don't have the right to um, even take medical and proactive measures to tell God, hey, look, I'm going to participate in sex, but I'm not going to deal with any of the consequences. It is God who opens and closes the womb. I know that this is a Christmas message, but Jesus came as a baby. Mary had to raise him as a child. And I think it's time for us that we, not just here, but in general, get back to a better biblical theology of children. And so looking at the example of John in the womb and children throughout the Gospels, children have always been an example to adults as to how to celebrate Jesus. Kids know how to celebrate with joy. So when, when we see something like John the Baptist leaping for joy in the womb, when we see the children running to Jesus in the Gospels, they are joyful for His presence. John the Baptist is joyful for the presence of Jesus. But John the Baptist is not the only one who celebrates in this passage. Mary celebrates when she breaks into song in this Magnificat, verses 46 through 56, which we'll get to in more depth in a bit. But I want us to take notice that Mary is called, the, is, is called by Elizabeth, she is blessed to be the mother of the Messiah. We have to enter into a little bit of context here to fully understand this. This is, um, this is Israel in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And here we have a woman who is pregnant out of wedlock. A woman who is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but is still betrothed to Joseph. She's never been with a man. She's a virgin. Now imagine the trials that Mary is about to face when she has to explain, because you can't hide a pregnancy for too long. When she has to explain to Joseph, when she has to explain to her family, her parents, the town that knows her so well. She, she is blessed to be the mother of the Messiah, but even in that blessing, God never said He would take her trials away. She knew the risk of being betrothed to Joseph. She knew the risk of being ostracized by her family and the community. And she probably faced this for the rest of her life. But Mary, we see in the Magnificat in her song, but Mary rests on the promises of God despite her circumstances. And more important to Mary... What carries her is God's faithfulness to, her, to His Word. 
And so Mary can celebrate with joy because she knows God. Christians, we are people of joyful celebration because we know God. Do you celebrate Christ with the joy of a child? When you think about God and you think about what He's done in your life, does it fill you with excitement and praise and joy and happiness? And do you celebrate Christ even in the midst of trials? See, when we lack the ability to celebrate with joy, it is likely because we have forgotten who God is. And I know that for some, this season, the Christmas season is a time of loneliness and a reminder of hardship and heartache. And it can be very hard to celebrate such a season. But Mary knew that feeling as well as anyone. And she celebrates not because she's ignorant of her trials, not because she's not going to deal with loneliness, and because she worships the God that is greater than her trials. And as we see in this passage, she is not alone because she has the Lord and she has Elizabeth. And to those who feel alone this morning because of this Christmas season, this is a reminder that the Lord is with you. And we, his church, are your family. We are an eternal family with the same father. So if you feel alone or depressed this time of year, you are not alone. And you can remember and trust that the promises of God are greater than the trials of a season. And you too can celebrate. So the first response is this joyful celebration of the Christmas message. The second response is proclaiming the truth of God's blessings. See, Elizabeth, uh, Mary comes and she, she gives this greeting and John the Baptist leaps in her room and immediately Elizabeth proclaims to Mary about God's blessing. Mary is blessed among women because the fruit of her womb is blessed. Mary carries the child of salvation. This is the child that was the seed that was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And she is blessed, it says in uh, verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. She is blessed because she believes that God will fulfill what he said to her. Now, the reason why this is important is because um, earlier in this chapter, this is contrasted with Zacharias, who was punished because he did not believe the message that was given to him. And so for a season of time, he was mute. And this is Elizabeth's husband. So Luke even shows us there's a contrast between the response of Zacharias, a religious leader, and the response of Mary, this humble young virgin, to the message of God. And so because she believes, she is blessed. So Elizabeth proclaims God's blessings. Mary, again, then when she has her Magnificat, she proclaims the truth of God's blessings. 
And the application for us this morning is for us as Christians to remember that we are not only a people of joyful celebration, but we are a people of proclamation. If you are saved this morning, you have been blessed beyond your wildest comprehension. We are sinners who have been saved by grace and not of works. And I think the longer that we walk with the Lord, the more we realize how deep and how grave our sinfulness actually is. And the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we recognize, yes, I did deserve the wrath of God. But I am blessed. And if you are saved here this morning, if you have been washed by the blood of Christ, you are blessed. So now the question is, do you proclaim that? Do you proclaim the truth about our Lord, or are you ashamed of Him? Mark 8.38, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. I don't want Jesus ashamed of me. We need to be boldly proclaiming the truth of God and his word. And really, I, I mean, I, I was trying to think as I was putting this together, I don't know how else to say it. But most Christians just don't do it. The one example I could think of was how a lot of Christians get upset because of the whole happy holidays things. So right now, you know, in a lot of places, instead of saying Merry Christmas, they'll say Happy Holidays. And even when you watch, um, you know, maybe like a reality baking show where it's clearly all Christmas decorations all around, they'll say, this is our holiday decoration show, right? Happy Holidays. But you know, that's our own fault. The world never took Christ out of Christmas because they never had him in Christmas to begin with. The churches took Christ out of Christmas when they decided to follow the world. The churches took Christ out of Christmas when they decided to look like the world. The churches took Christ out of Christmas when they decided to appeal to, appeal to the world according to the world's standards instead of standing firm in the truth. See, we as the church are called to be a light that overcomes darkness and we are called to storm the gates of hell and that Jesus says, and those gates will not prevail against us. Well, we haven't been shining, and we haven't been doing a lot of storming, so we shouldn't be surprised when the world says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Instead of being upset at the world for that, we need to look at ourselves and look at the church and say, have I, have I been proclaiming the gospel? Am I getting upset that the world is just doing what the world is going to be doing? Or have, have I been telling people about the truth of Jesus? And, and I, I will say this, um, which is important, you, not just by word of mouth, but also by the way you live. But also not just by the way you live, but by word of mouth. You ha we have to do both. If you live like hell and preach the gospel, people are, they'll write you off and, and they have every right to. But if you're living without speaking, then the question is, 
why aren't you saying anything? We are called to proclaim the truth about God to every creature into the four corners of the earth. And really, that's why we're here. We're not here to simply get a good career. We're not here to simply have a family. We're not here to be famous or rich. Not that any of us are really struggling with the famous part. (laughs) You're not... We're not even here to just leave the world a little bit better after we die. We are here to proclaim the truth of God's word and to make disciples. Men, disciple younger men in the faith. Older men, teach the younger men how to proclaim the gospel to the masses. Teach the younger men how to proclaim the gospel to their wives. How to proclaim the gospel to their children. Teach them how to proclaim the gospel at work. Or to their lost friends. When it comes to our actions, older men teaching younger men how to proclaim the gospel with their finances and with their possessions and in every area of their life. And women, the same thing. Older women training younger women and discipling younger women how to proclaim the gospel to your husbands, how to proclaim the gospel to your children, how to proclaim the gospel. Where, where you may work or the areas of life where you are, life, spring, work, your friends, how do you proclaim the gospel boldly and disciple where God has you? God has blessed us all with the truth of salvation and we must proclaim it. And I, re- I really worry for many who call themselves followers of Christ but have no compulsion to preach the gospel to the lost or disciple others in the face. faith. There's something off there. And if that's where you are, then I think that's something that you need to cry out to God and ask, why do I feel no need to tell people about you? Am I living by fear? Do I really believe this? And it's really simple. You know, when we're going through First John, this idea of confession, then you confess it to God and you say, God, do a work in my heart. I want to be a proclaimer of the truth. And so now my question is then, how do you, this is rhetorical, because I know some of you may answer, but how do you plan on proclaiming Christ this Christmas season? Are you prepared for the divine appointments that God may have for you? I love last week, Pastor Keith immediately just hit on this idol of the smartphones. And, and I was convicted, oh man, how many divine appointments may I have missed because I'm more interested in just sitting down and scrolling and scrolling, and scrolling. Are we prepared for the divine appointments that God may have for us in the coming weeks? Are we ready to preach the gospel at Christmas dinner? Are we ready to make sure that our children know what Christmas is about? It's about Jesus, not about Santa. I was even thinking as I was putting this together, I was like, you know what I think would be really cool? You know how whenever you go to like a Jewel or a Walmart, they have the Samaritan's Purse where they have the, you know, um, I I don't know why I think that. I always think a coin in the coffer. Um, When you put the donation in, right? And their Salvation Army. What was I saying? Samaritan's Purse. Sorry. Salvation Army and the bell, right? How about standing at a store and handing out tracts to people as they walk in and asking them, how they're doing and how you can pray for them and see what God may bring up, what conversations. Maybe someone walks in 
and they're really struggling this Christmas season, and they don't know the Lord, and now you have an opportunity to pray for them and talk to them about the gospel, and they take that track with them, and who knows? People have been saved because they sit down later and they read that. So we're a people of joyful celebration. We're a people of proclamation. And then lastly, uh, the third response we see here is singing in worshipful praise. And this is the Magnificat that we see that Mary responds to Elizabeth with. Mary responds to the news from God and the encouragement from John and Elizabeth with worship and praise. She says, my, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary begins her worship based on who God is. God is great. He is mighty. We see in, uh, that was what we saw in verse 46 and 47. In verse 49, we see that, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God is great. He is mighty. He is holy. And so Mary is saying that my soul proclaims the greatness of God. And this is key to our worship God is so great that our souls are compelled to exalt Him. When we sing our songs before we get into the message on Sunday mornings, it's not just because we have to do these three songs and this is the order and, you know, we're not like ants following in a line where if something gets in the way, then we're lost. We don't know what to do. So we have to have our three songs. We worship because of the greatness of God and we begin our worship service with exalting the Lord for His greatness, for His holiness, for His salvation. He is powerful and He does great things and He is holy. He is pure and righteous and light and just. And the more that we learn about His character, the more that we learn about who He is, our response to Him is we must exalt His name. She also talks about God's character as faithful to His promises. God helps His people because He remembers them. This is verse 54 and 55. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. God has made promises to His people and those promises are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But God will always follow through with the promises that He makes in His Word. She talks about God being merciful to His people and hard on His enemies. Verses 50 through 53. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. And he has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent away the rich empty-handed. God is merciful to his people. And he is hard on his enemies. Mary's worship is not just based on God's character, but also based on Scripture. You know, if you read this Magnificat closely, this girl knows the Word of God. 
She quotes Psalm 34, Psalm 138, Psalm 103, Psalm 98, Psalm 118, Psalm 107, and Psalm 132. What I love about this is it's a reminder that um, I really think that it's hard for us to sing new songs to God until we know God's songs. And what I mean by that is, you you know, throughout history, psalms were sung in ancient Israel. Psalms were sung by Jesus and the apostles. Psalms were sung in the early church and in the medieval church and by the reformers and by the Puritans. This is one of the reasons that Michelle and I, when we, when we do worship up here, that's why each week we try to incorporate a psalm. It's singing God's word back to him. You know, God has a songbook. Historically, psalms were chanted as a way to practice, to memorize, and sing with ease and unison in the early church. Uh, Psalm readings and responses were done in melody and in cadence. After the printing press and there was more access to the Word of God, Psalters were written for churches and families to sing together. But Mary doesn't just quote Psalms. Mary also alludes to 1 Samuel, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She also alludes to Exodus and Genesis. So Mary, in this Magnificat, sings God's word back to God. She therefore must know God's word correctly in order to worship correctly. Now one of the struggles today is we kind of tend to live in a period where we worship how we want. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the, the danger of uh, contemporary worship is it can be built more on catchy lyrics and melodies than on truth. In fact, churches hardly sing the psalms anymore. Sometimes they may have a contemporary song with a line from a psalm in it, but most of the time um, they don't want any of the nasty stuff that talks about violence or what God may do with his enemies. In fact, some, a lot of Christians falsely believe that many of those psalms just don't even apply anymore. But Paul says in Ephesians that the church is a temple being built on the foundation of the apostles with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, says that the Word of God is a firm foundation. And this means, really, that all worship must be built on the foundation of Scripture. And what it means is, if we stray from Scripture, or we leave Scripture behind, we've left worship. But what it also means is that as this temple, this church is being built, it also means that every generation of Christian adds to the beauty of worship as Christ continues to build his church. So yes, we should sing scripture back to God. We must sing the Psalms. But we should also sing the historical hymns as well that have been added throughout the generations. And we should also sing contemporary songs because God is still building his church today. I guess what I'm getting at is that you can kind of, with worship, fall on one of two ends of the spectrum, and I think it's dangerous. There's some who fall solely on only singing 
psalms or maybe only singing hymns and completely neglecting that the church has anything more to add. And that's not true. But then the other end of the spectrum is those who think that the church only has things to add and we don't need to sing those psalms anymore or sing those hymns because they're outdated. Mary's worship is built on uh, the word of God and Mary's worship is also based on recognizing how God has blessed her and the people. The triune God of Scripture is the God of salvation, and blessed are those who believe in Him. We worship God because we believe who He is, and we see what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. We are lowly, and He is great and mighty, but He became lowly for us. We are sinful and poor and naked, And he is pure and rich and clothed in righteousness, but he became poor. He was stripped naked and our sins were put upon his shoulders where the wrath of God was poured out. We are eternally blessed and we are able to offer up songs of praise to God because of this blessing. Which is why that last point is we Christians are a people of song. Paul says to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Christians are to be a people of music. Not everyone needs to be musically talented, but you are musically gifted because you are a Christian. Let me say that again. Not everyone is necessarily musically talented, but everybody is musically gifted because you are a Christian. And what that means is, because you have been born again, you now experience the joy of music and worship for what it was truly meant to be. You may not have the best voice, you may not know how to strum a chord, but you are musical because you can offer up your praise to God through song. And he accepts it. It is through music and songs that we proclaim the blessing and joys and salvations and even the warnings of God. Will you sing this Christmas season? You know, this is, Christmas is such a unique time to sing to God. It's a unique time because um, it's not just here in the church that it's taking place. It's, it's this unique season where it's happening publicly. Even the radio stations, the secular radio stations, you know, they'll throw in White Christmas and you know, Jingle Bells and things like that. But if you listen, they'll throw in some hymns too. They probably don't even recognize what they're singing. <laughs> this is a season where everyone seems to be singing. It's like one of the few times where you can actually go out with a group of people and stand in public and sing and people just go, yeah, this is normal because it's Christmas caroling. But if you do that in July, people are going to be like, what's going on here? It's like a flash mob. We Christians have the real reason to sing and his name is Jesus. I had a professor at Moody and I will never forget that he said that one of the best ways that we can evangelize to the lost just by 
living, okay, is by singing in the streets. And what he meant was is that your, your life is just so overwhelmed with God that you just you break out into worshiping his name. It doesn't matter where you are. And so even as, and, and we're in Chicago, so he's talking in the context of, you know, when you get off the train, the L, and you're walking to work, man, you're just singing to the Lord. So this year, let us celebrate the joy of Christ. Let us proclaim the truth and the blessings of God, and let us worship him with song. I, wa- I would want us to do that every day, all the time, and we will do that for eternity, but especially in this Christmas season when there's, it feels like there's just such ripe fruit to be picked with the gospel. Let us be doing these things.